0: TANISAN AND THE WILLIAM SITUATION Let us now turn to the William situation. For many years, Tanisan's back garden had been highly disputed territory, like the Senkaku Islands, or Kashmir, or the Gaza Strip. The deeds to the house stated unequivocally that the scrap of land behind her property belonged to her, yet the local stray cat seemed wholly incapable of appreciating the finer points of civil law. Instead, they continued to regard it as their domain, by dint of squatters' rights. By which I mean, the place they chose to do their business in. When she failed to assert her lawful prerogative, she had to resort to more forceful means to rid herself of the troublesome felines. Citronella and peppermint oil proved quite effective, and for a while it looked as though she was winning the battle. Yet there was one furry reprobate who would not be deterred, and his name was William. And the thing about William was that he was not afraid of Tannisan, not in the least. In fact, he actually went out of his way to provoke her. To look at, he was certainly no oil painting. What presented itself was the roughest, toughest sort of street cat, with silvery grey fur, a milky eye and an ugly scar that ran down the right side of his face, pulling his lip up into a permanent snarl. What is more, he was very, very clever, and knew exactly what to do to undermine all of Tanisan's efforts. Indeed, she had a drawer full of useless gadgets to prove it. When at great expense she had the garden walls lined with cat-repellent mats, William made a point of lying directly in her line of sight, stretched out on the plastic spikes, licking his bottom. And then, when she went to all the trouble of installing motion-activated sprinklers around the edge of the garden, it was Tanisan who got a soaking because someone had managed to turn the nozzles round with his nose so that they faced in the opposite direction. However, the game these days was how close he could get to the house without her catching him. I say game, though in fact it was more of an obsession, as both he and Tanisan devoted far more time and energy to it than was strictly necessary. For weeks now, he'd been leaving his little brown calling card for her to clean up. Exhibit 1 materialised by the flower bed at the bottom of the garden. But then with each passing day, a fresh deposit appeared, gradually progressing up the garden path to the house. Not a morning went by when Tanisan didn't awake to a sizeable mound on the kitchen step, or by the front door, or even on her bedroom balcony, which must have taken considerable daring to accomplish. He was like a dirty version of the milk tray man. However, things came to a head when she was doing her washing one morning. In taking some sheets out to the line, Tanis had left the back door open, and when she returned, she found William perched on the kitchen table, licking the cream off a strawberry shortcake that she'd left out for herself as a special treat. In actual fact, he wasn't enjoying it very much, but that wasn't the point, obviously. Positively incandescent. While simultaneously enjoying the situation, Tanisan chased him across the kitchen and out into the garden, where he leapt up onto the fence at the side of the house. Needless to say, he had his escape route carefully planned. Having made an assessment as to the shortness of Tanisan's legs, he knew that she would not be able to reach him there, but would still be able to see him. So he stretched out in the warm sunshine to lick the cream off his fur, occasionally casting insolent glances at her, as she fussed and fretted down below. She was just about to start looking for a small stone with which to dislodge him when something else drew her attention. There was a soft, wet splatting noise just behind her. Tanisan looked round and was more than a little peeved to see a muddy splodge on her freshly laundered sheets. She then heard the sound of childish giggling coming from the other side of the fence. So very quietly, she picked up the washing basket and crept over. Turning it upside down to use as a step, Tanisan climbed up on tiptoes and peered down over the top of the fence. Crouched down low on the other side, unaware that they were being watched, were two small boys, one of whom Tanisan recognised as Haruto, her neighbour's son. As everyone in the street knew, this oily, violin-playing apple of his mother's eye had a tendency to indulge his darker side while she was out at work. So it came as no surprise to Tanisan that on this occasion he had in his grasp a formidable-looking slingshot. I'll have that, thank you, she said as she snatched it out of his hand from above. Hey, that's mine, piped up the obnoxious tick, shooting her a peevish glance. Give it back. Give it back or I'll... "'Or you'll what?' said tani examining the item she stepped down from her perch. "'Run to mummy? Call the police? I think not. "'No, if you want this back, you'll have to come over here and get it.' "'An idea had started to form in tani brain. "'An idea so fiendish, you could slap a moustache on it and call it Fu Manchu. "'If successful, it would resolve the Williams situation once and for all. "'But before all that, she had other fish to fry.' For now young Haruto came swaggering over to present his credentials in the company of his sickly looking sidekick. All right, barked the loathsome child, holding out a grubby paw. You got us here. Now hand it over. Yeah, hand over our property, you horrible old hag, echoed his accomplice. All in good time, said Tanisan, who was very much in her element intimidating ten-year-olds. First, I have a job for you. The execrable Haruto gave a laugh. "'I think you've mistaken us for Boy Scouts or something,' he said. "'We're not going to help you.' "'Oh, yes, you are, you miserable little toad,' said Tanisan. "'In fact, not only are you going to help me, "'but you're going to do it willingly and with no prospect of reward. "'Allow me to explain.' "'With that, she grabbed three small stones from her rockery "'and marched round to the front of the house "'with the two brats trailing behind. "'Checking both ways to make sure that no one was about,' Tannisan stepped out into the street, raised the slingshot and fired off the three stones in rapid succession. The first went crashing through the passenger window of a silver Toyota that belonged to the policeman across the street. The second smashed the porch light outside old Mrs Uya's house and the third she targeted at her own property. Taking aim with practised expertise, Tanisan smashed one of the flower pots on her own front doorstep. The two boys looked on in shock and awe as she then proceeded to wipe down the implement with the sleeve of her pink and white blouse. Here, catch, she said, tossing it across to Haruto. Still struggling to catch up, the hapless child grabbed the slingshot only to have Tanisan snatch it back off him again. However, this time she handled it with great care, making sure not to leave her own prints on it. The other wretch, whose name was Sho was first to pick up on the fact that they were not dealing with normal adult behaviour and immediately started blubbing. "'Stop snivelling and be a man,' snapped Tannisan. "'You're perfectly safe as long as you keep your mouth shut and do exactly as I say. "'But if either one of you breathes a word about this to anyone, "'it'll be off to jail with both of you. "'And you know what happens there, don't you? "'They put you in the special cells with rats in them. "'And these rats like to nibble things. Take it from me, the picture that Danisan painted was so horrific, the two 'er ne'er-do-wells went straight from nascent hoodlums to cowering mummies boys without drawing breath, particularly Haruto, who seemed to have had all the insolence knocked out of him. Perhaps, on some animal level, he sensed that he'd made the mistake of clashing with a superior criminal intelligence which could crush him like a bug. What do you want us to do? he asked, a mere shade of his former self. Tanizan fixed him with a crazed stare, the mad glint of Ahab in her eye. "'Present yourselves at my front door tomorrow morning "'at nine o'clock sharp and be ready to work,' she said. "'We are going to build the most stupendous catapult "'the world has ever seen.' "'As petty as it may seem,' Tanisan was willing to sacrifice anyone or anything to prevail over one mangy-looking tomcat, and now two young boys had been roped into her machinations. Needless to say, she wasted no time in getting them started on the preliminary research, which seemed to suggest that a trebuchet-style device would be the most effective way of propelling the payload, William, over the greatest distance, residential Ikibukuro, at the highest possible launch speed. So then plans for the device were drawn up, and all of the key components were cut for them by Mr Ito, the local timber merchant. As soon as they had a working prototype, top-secret testing began in Tanisan's backyard. The payload that she'd chosen to practise with in this case was cheese. Allow me to explain. One of Tanisan's aunts fancied herself as an artisan cheesemaker, and had somehow managed to produce a truly loathsome substance called Fuka weasel cheese, although how she'd managed to milk all the little weasels in the first place was a mystery that nobody cared to look into. In any event, she had sent three truckles of the stuff to Tannisan's mother, who did what she usually did with unwanted rubbish, which was to palm it off on Tannisan as being something very special and expensive. In fact, it smelt like the sludge that festers at the bottom of rubbish bins and went as hard as rock within a few days due to some fundamental flaw in the ripening process. Perfect for testing catapults, thought Tanisan. And so the cheeses proved, although a number of adjustments had to be made to the apparatus before they were able to send one sailing over the rooftops, only to have it come crashing down several streets away to the sound of broken glass and car alarms. By the way, I should explain that while all this was going on, the insufferable William made himself scarce. In fact, it was only when the boys had gone and things began to settle down again that he drifted back. Yet this presented Tanisan with a bit of a problem, for he was bound to be wary of the great, hulking wooden thing that had suddenly materialised in the middle of the garden. So in order to divert his suspicions, she purchased some ultrasonic caterpillars at great expense, which she positioned around the edges of the flower beds at regular intervals. Finally, to bait the trap, she placed a slice of turkey into the pouch at the end of the catapult sling before running a line from the triggering mechanism across the garden and under the kitchen door. All that remained then was to watch and wait. From her vantage point at the kitchen window, Tanisan could take in the entire garden with her military-grade high-res Gen 4 night vision goggles, which she'd found on the internet. What a dreadful waste of money, you're probably thinking. But as I say, there were no lengths to which Tanisan was not prepared to go in order to outwit William. And the way she saw it, it would be remiss of her not to exploit every technological advantage that humans had over cats, no matter what the cost. Just after ten o'clock, a dim shape emerged from the bushes at the end of the yard and began making its way along the garden fence. Activating her goggles, Tanisan watched her furry feline frenemy as he paced to and fro, looking for a way in. Then he spotted the caterpillars and homed in on the narrow corridor next to the herb garden, where there was no coverage. Like a flea-bitten Tom Cruise, he slid down the fence, into the shadows, and crept along the ground on his belly to avoid setting off the motion sensors. Tanisan's grip on the trigger string tightened as he sneaked up to the catapult and started sniffing around the wheels. There was a tense moment when it looked as though he was about to lose interest, but then he rubbed his cheek against a corner of the frame and sniffed the air. Realizing that he'd picked up on the scent of the turkey, "'Tanisan got ready to pull the string. "'It was tempting to let him have it "'when he reached up to the pouch on his hind legs "'and started nibbling at a corner of the turkey slice. "'But she waited until both legs were off the ground "'before giving the string a sharp tug.' On doing so, the hefty counterweight dropped down with a leaden clunk, causing the beam and the sling on the other side of the pivot to shoot up in the opposite direction. And of course, William went with it, rocketing over the neighbouring rooftops, his furry legs flailing wildly. "'Yes!' hissed Tannisan, punching the air. There was no denying that everything changed after the swift and spectacular expulsion of William." For one thing, there were no more little brown calling cards for Tanisan to clean up. And with him gone, it was so much easier to discourage his mangy associates with the occasional well-aimed lemon or bucket of cold water. In the end though, it proved to be a hollow victory. The truth was that everyday life was so much less interesting without William. In a heart of hearts, Tanisan had always believed that he would eventually find his way back and that after a time the usual hostilities would resume. But when three days went by and there was still no sign of him, she began to wonder whether he had sustained an injury as a result of his meteoric descent over northern Ikebukuro, like Milton's Lucifer. So there was nothing else for it but to go out into the community and find the cockeyed blighter. Now the back streets of Ikebukuro are very different from its brash, teeming centre, which is a bit like Blade Runner, but without the rain. There's a slower, more congenial pace to life there that borders on the Mediterranean. You will never see such a varied assortment of buildings in such a small space, implausibly juxtaposed, ramshackle in places, with stairways and pot plants and neat lines of washing hanging from cluttered balconies. A labyrinth of narrow streets takes you deeper into these environs, streets like the one that Tanisan was heading down now, slowly, methodically, peering into all the little nooks and crannies through her night raptor goggles. She was searching for any signs of recent damage. Her reasoning was as follows. As the catapult had not been moved since its trial run, the trajectories of the cheeses and William would be roughly the same, despite the fact that he was somewhat lighter than the deplorable dairy product. So once she determined where said cheese had actually come down, she would have a much clearer idea of where to start looking for him. That said, it was her nose rather than her eyes that took her to the actual spot. At the next intersection, she got a whiff of festering pilchards, and on turning the corner came across the wreckage of a soft drinks dispenser which had been taken out by the cheesy ordnance. It was surrounded by police tape, and a starkly worded notice had been attached to the adjacent lamppost appealing to the public for help. Police notice, it said. A serious incident involving dairy products took place here on Friday, the 14th of May at 8 pm. Anyone who witnessed the event or has any information pertaining to unusual cheese making in the vicinity, should contact the police immediately. Continuing on around the bend, Tanisan came to a small house with a low wall and an iron gate, which lay on the same line of trajectory as the vending machine. So she ducked down behind the wall to survey the premises, while making a very slight adjustment to her night raptors. Through the kitchen window, she could see a dumpy middle-aged couple. He was sat at the table drinking beer, while she was cooking dinner. To their right, there was another window that looked into the lounge. A cage budgerigar occupied the immediate foreground, but it was what lay beyond that that captured Danisan's attention. There was a little girl kneeling at a low wooden table. She'd set out some toy teacups, and was cradling what appeared to be a large and unwieldy doll. It was dressed in some sort of old-fashioned get-up, consisting of a lacy smock, and a pretty little bonnet with birds and flowers on it. The face, however, was completely obscured. It was only when the child reached for a teacup and brought it up to the doll's lips that Tanisan was able to discern the snarling features of William, framed by a mass of frills and bows and ribbons. His one good eye bespoke a cat in hell, a once-proud hunter reduced to a state of utter degradation and misery. Yet the worst of it was still to come, for just then, the little girl grabbed him round the midriff and began dancing him around the room so that his back legs flapped about like furry drumsticks. And it was while he was being made to perform this humiliating jig that he caught sight of Tanisan watching from the wall. So he fixed her with a grim stare, as if to say, Go find a gun, load it up with bullets and just shoot me. Now, as far as Tannyson was concerned, it was all very simple. William was her cat, which meant that no one else was allowed to pet him. Not that Tannison petted him either, although they did have a tacit understanding. Yet rather than going down the obvious route of knocking on the door and asking if she could have her cat back, she decided that the best way of helping him out was by laying siege to the family home with the remaining cheeses. That way, she wouldn't be seen to be rescuing him, which would be very embarrassing. For William, that is. So with this in mind, she hurried back to her house, heaved the second of her aunt's property-damaging cheeses into the sling and hit the release lever. The evil dairy cannonball went whistling over the rooftops and disappeared into the darkness. Not even pausing to listen out for the usual chorus of chaos and destruction, Tanisan went racing down the street to investigate the results first hand. What she discovered was that it had smashed through the window of the little family home and landed in a pan of cooking oil, whereupon it had exploded, the cheese I mean, filling the kitchen with thick black smoke of such gut-wrenching putrescence that the little girl's parents were almost overcome. What better way to extinguish a raging house fire than with additional ventilation, thought Tanisan. So then she ran back through the dimly lit streets to launch the third and final weasel cheese. Of course, by that stage, she was too exhausted to run all the way back to the house again. However, I can tell you that the last truckle went crashing through the living room window, taking out the gar and causing a massive backdraft, which allowed the fire to spread more rapidly. Fortunately, none of the occupants suffered any lasting effects apart from the budgie, that is, which vanished in a puff of feathers. But as I say, Tannisan saw none of this, for as she went huffing and puffing down the street towards the scene of the conflagration, she bumped into William as he came charging the other way, still decked out like some wonky-eyed little beau peep. Scooping him up into her arms, Tanisan did her best to undo the knot on his flowery bonnet, but the panicking William struggled and wriggled and clawed, finding it very weird to be handled by her. Very, very weird. Once she'd let go of him, however, he managed to pull it off himself. Yet there was still the embarrassment of being seen like that. So then, one way or another, he had to reassert his masculinity. As luck would have it, who should come walking down the street at that very moment but Haruto's sister with a pet Pomeranian? So with no further ado, William launched himself at the poor little mutt, which was just minding its own business. The attack was as short as it was savage, There was a shrill cacophony of yelps and squeals as claws flashed and fur flew. Then, with Dog and owner thoroughly traumatised, the insufferable William shot off down a side street and was lost to the night. That was the last that anyone saw of him for some time. Indeed, Tanisan began to wonder whether he simply couldn't face her, knowing that she'd seen him in his darkest, most bonnet-wearing moments. But then one bright morning a week or so later, she went outside to hang out the washing, only to find a huge, festering poo slap-bang in the middle of the garden. In light of what followed, I can only assume that this was William's way of saying that it was business as usual.